Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald, and hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. hello. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, a jam-packed quick and dirty. Zendaya stuns on the Oscars red carpet. Influencer Ruby Tuesday Matthews finds herself in a slightly awkward public predicament and the rise of short kings. And then, oh, you already know what's coming after that. A big bumper segment on the slap that sees the world. Will Smith assaulted Chris Rock on stage at the Oscars. And we have so much to talk about. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. You and I got dinner with our mothers last night. Yes, it was lovely. It was lovely. I always love getting Trish and Vicky together, <laughs> particularly because Zara and I can just sit back and kind of look at our nails for a bit or look at our phone. They will just natter away. Yeah, it's very sweet how well they get along. Perhaps they should start <laughs> their own show. Yeah. But I, I did say to you when we got there, I was like, mum's a bit of a stickler for over-ordering. She's not a big fan of wasted food. And so I ordered and then I realised as all the food was coming out, I've I've completely overordered. Yeah. And then I was watching all the food on the table being like, how do I eat it all? I was getting full and I was like, how do I consume this to make it look like it was all worth it? See, that never stresses me. The idea of eating more to like make it all worth it doesn't stress me because I'll always find a way. However, what does stress me is when I'm looking at a table and there is no more space for a plate and you see another plate on its way. I don't know why, but that is deeply anxiety inducing for me. Yeah, that's probably fair. Probably more anxiety inducing for the waitress or the yeah. waiter. Try and work out what the fuck to do. That was a great time. It was actually the best. I do have a recommendation as well. I listened to a podcast by The Imperfects this week. We have recommended chats on The Imperfects maybe like five to ten times. Yeah. Shameless. Big, big fans of the guys on that show. They did an episode called Hamish Blake. Let's talk about self doubt. And I want to say, because to be honest, as much as I adore this show, the first five to ten minutes A little bit of my mind was thinking, is this episode for me? There were four guys on this show and when you have four people on one interview episode – there's a lot of chaos. Especially when there are a lot of old friends at the table. So there's a lot of sort of inside jokes, a lot of catching up. Because I did listen to the first sort of 10 minutes when I was getting ready this morning. And I thought to myself, yeah, there is a lot of banter here, which is so wonderful. But truthfully, I'm so earnest these days. All I want is the (laughs) self-doubt. Which is so funny because I did get through that first 10 minutes, which I enjoyed, but I agree, Zara, could be a little confronting if you're coming to it for the first time. In the middle of this episode, after they talk a lot to Hamish Blake about self-doubt, there's this really fascinating conversation that unravels between Ryan Shelton and Hamish Blake, who have always been best friends, and Hugh Van Kylenberg, one of the co-hosts on The Imperfects, who's becoming closer to Hamish Blake as every month goes by. And Ryan shares this really interesting insight and this really vulnerable moment where he says, I am jealous of you two and how close you're becoming. And it's a really interesting discussion between three friends, two who have always known each other and one who's come in more recently and how they're navigating that very age old idea of three's a crowd. Sometimes that sometimes it is really hard to have three best friends and one always does feel a little on the outer. And they give this really interesting example that just before the recording, Hugh and Hamish got lunch together and how Ryan, when he heard that, it felt like a bit of a punch in the guts to him and he was kind of upset about it. 
And I was just listening thinking I'm so glad I stuck with this episode because God, the imperfects always nail that incredibly vulnerable kind of conversation that I think everyone is feeling. I would feel embarrassed probably to get on an episode and be like, I feel jealous of this friend and this friend and I feel like I'm on the outer because obviously a whole bunch of values can be projected onto revealing that. But I just have so much respect for Ryan Shelton for getting on that show and saying it because fuck, I've felt that so many times in my life. It's incredibly human, isn't it? And I think Ryan Shelton has done some remarkable work in podcasting in the last few years. I mean, I recommended his episode of The Imperfects a couple of years ago because it's one of my favourite episodes of podcasting almost ever. Same. Because he really does put everything out on the table, all his insecurities, everything he's ever worried about. And I think for that particular brand of man, the Hamish Blake, the Ryan Shelton, who are always the funny men, the ones that everyone, I guess ostensibly young men want to be, it's so good. And that is a big generalisation, by the way. But (laughs) I think true. It's so good to just see them like put things out on the table and be like, let's just be honest. Yes, particularly between three friends, because how many of us have found ourselves in a threesome friendship scenario where it's like, oh God, there is some kind of underlying tension here. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. What about you? How was your week? I'm actually going to skip right past my week because <laughs> I have a couple of quick recommendations if I- if A you, couple? Just two, just two little quick ones. She sees my one and she raises me. <laughs> no, because the first one I wanted to recommend feels like a bit of a cop out of a recommendation. Now, as we all know, the Oscars were on this week. Boy, did we know the Oscars <laughs> were on this week. And Vanity Fair, I feel, do such an incredible job of covering the Oscars. And what they do in the lead up to the after party, or I think as people are coming through the after party, they take these famous movie stars and very quickly do a photo session with them. And they take these incredible photos that would be like, worthy of being on the cover of Vanity Fair and they must do it in two minutes. There is some iconic photos here of like Hayley Bieber, Rita Ora and Taika Waititi. Annabelle, I don't know if you saw that photo because you are not alone with me. They're amazing. Like I know it sounds like a cop out of a recommendation, but it is remarkable how they take these photos so quickly of so many famous people. As you started talking, I thought you were speaking about those red carpet photos. Ah, right. You're kind of scrolling through them now. Yes, very cool. You were. I thought you were talking about... <laughs> <All right, mate>. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about those shots where they have that camera and the celebrity has to move That's as e the news. camera... Right, Come sorry. On, Get your red carpet. I like those right. too, though. They're cool. I love those. They're really fun. So if people don't know what we're talking about, E! News now has like this also iconic like drone like camera on the red carpet. I would call it a slow motion super zoom. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> that makes sense, and, surely. And they're all over TikTok, those videos. Yeah. some really Vanessa Hudgens had a really good one. I don't know if you guys saw that one from the Oscars, but there's really innovative stuff going on on the red carpet. Pretty cool that they're doing a full-blown like avant-garde photo shoot in between the Oscars and the after party. It's insane. People are so creative. The second thing I want to recommend this week is a book that I read a while ago, but I was waiting for it to come out before I recommended it because I read it as an advanced copy because I was writing a little endorsement for the book. And I wanted to talk to you guys about it because it's something that we've spoken a lot about on the show. So it's a book called The Most Important Job in the World by Gina Rushton that was out this week. And we've spoken a little bit on the show back and forth bringing recommendations to each other, having conversations about, okay, do I want kids? And if I want kids, what does my life look like? Like what are the things that I'm putting in place to make this a scenario and experience that I will enjoy? And she wrote a whole book trying to work out whether she wanted kids or not and sort of went through the whole discussion of the many talking points that come up when you're a woman in her late 20s having to start thinking about this. And so I thought it was really wonderful. And I think because we've spoken about it on the show before, Mish, we've spoken about it together I think it is something that many of our listeners might be interested in after finishing the book did you find yourself with more clarity or more questions more questions always (laughs) more questions but I think for me it's like these are the questions I want to be asking like it's almost like okay I actually feel like I have a good set of questions to be asking myself about what I want this experience to look like like asking the right questions is almost more important than having like a firm yes or no answer in my opinion yeah totally fair so yeah that's a book for you you can get that wherever you get your books (laughs) guys but we're gonna dive into the stories of the week very soon but before we get there we needed to give a bit of a PSA to all of you our beloved listeners and say look 
The response to last week's mailbag, oh the bridesmaid mailbag, was one of the biggest responses we have ever had to a segment on Shameless ever. The TikTok video of you reading out the mailbag, Annabelle, got like almost 500,000 views, tens of thousands of likes, thousands of comments. We had so many listeners emailing us to say, hey guys, totally respect the privacy of your mailbag submitter. Can I ask if her name is Neve? Oh, Can I ask if her <laughs> name is Emily? <laughs> Amy. I, I, I totally respect her privacy. I just need to know if it's my friend who I can <laughs> ask to be my bridesmaid because I'm spiraling. Yeah, it, it spiraled a lot of people. We had a lot of emails from I'm the bride who didn't pick the friend, not the actual bride, but I'm the bride in this scenario. It was <laughs> remarkable. So it is just to say it probably wasn't your friend if no, you emailed us. because it does seem now that we've done that segment to be the most universal experience like so many people are feeling this way so many friendship groups around Australia and beyond are clearly going through this so if you emailed us saying is it Emma is it Claudia is it Neve no we're not going to reveal the identity (laughs) but check in with your mate anyway yeah I agree with that it's clearly a very universal thing I mean we knew it was going to be popular hence why we picked it but I had no sense that it was going to be this popular it blew me away so thank you for all your feedback on that one and thank you for being part of the conversation but Michelle we need to jump into the quick and dirty we do guys we've got a wrap up of six quick and dirty stories for you today Zara I love Vanity Fair photography McDonald you're kicking us off yeah I am my first story I do <laughs> wasn't love it very good. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't very I was good like, at all. when do I give a fake laugh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how much am I paid to laugh my first story oh. And the red carpet Oscar goes to the white shirt or no shirt. That is from The Guardian. As we said at the top of the app, guys, we will talk about the more dramatic aspects of the Oscars a bit later. But for now, let's talk about the sugar because I think when it came to our community and our listeners, it was pretty widely regarded that Zendaya was best dressed on that red carpet. Yeah, Zendaya was top of the list. In the top four, we had Lily James, who was wearing that pink lace number from Versace. That was one of my favourites. Lapita Nyong'o in a gold floral Prada number. Timothy Chalamet, I don't think we actually polled them on his look, but we just loved it in the shameless office. Megan the Stallion was also people's favourite. She was in this gorgeous blue dress. But you're right, Zara. Zendaya was the listener's number one. Yeah, exactly. Now, she was in like a silk crop shirt and a sequin skirt, which does sound like a relatively innocuous look. If mm. I was told ahead of time that that's what she was wearing, I would have thought, mm, underwhelmed. I would have gone, oh. Yeah, I was not <laughs> underwhelmed at all. So the look was custom made by Valentino Hawk Couture for Zendaya. And her longtime stylist, Law Roach, also dressed Venus Williams for the ceremony. But I think one conversation we've probably never had on mic that we do have back and forth a little bit is how bloody important a really good stylist is because Zendaya is incredible at her craft, incredible at it. But her brand is taken to the next level if every time she steps out onto a red carpet, people are talking about her and people are pointing to her saying she looks amazing. And that is largely due to the work of Law Roach. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think so many things make Zendaya successful. No one is denying that. She is incredible at what she does. But it is undeniable that the clothes she wears on red carpets have made her so hyper-relevant. They've probably made her the most relevant celebrity of 2021 and 2022. I mean, you think of Euphoria and things like that. Of course, these are massive for her career. But the stuff she is wearing on red carpets has made her a total style icon. And every time now there is an awards show or a ceremony, people are waiting to see what Zendaya wears and the fact that she continually smashes it out of the park is a testament not just to her because she would be giving the final tick of approval on every look that comes to her but also to Law Roach that is an incredible job an incredible talent to be able to know what's going to work at the right time and sing for Zendaya and also to have fun with it like I do feel like there's a huge element of fun to her outfits I mean even when she turned up to the Vanity Fair after party in that incredibly well cut black suit with a purple shirt. Again, you put this on paper to me before I see it, and I'm like, I'm not so sure. You see it, it sounds put kind together. of gross when you put it on paper. <laughs> and it's like again, like you are my best dressed easily. Yes. Like this is so completely iconic and so completely well suited to her. But when I talk about those elements of fun as well, when she used to turn up to the Spider Man premiere and have like very much Spider Man sort of stuff, yeah, yeah infused outfits, like it's stylish and it's fun and it's a good story. The interesting thing about Laura 
Paul Roach is he was actually the man responsible for Celine Dion's 2016 transformation where she almost overnight became like this huge fashion icon. Mm. And I think it would be easy for people to dismiss fashion or to dismiss us having this conversation as undermining the talents of the women that are wearing the clothes. But in fact, it really does and can make a brand because, again, as I said, it gets people talking about these stars and at the end of the day, their currency is often in having people have conversations about them. Yeah, and anyone who wants to discard a conversation about fashion as something silly or pointless is ignoring the fact that fashion is art. Fashion is personal branding and for a celebrity, fashion is like of the utmost importance. So Zendaya is killing it, so is her stylist and good on them. Yeah, May I add something? You are, you're always <laughs> welcome to. This is just <laughs> no, this has just reminded me of a TikTok video that I watched and it was an interview with Zendaya and she actually credits her active decision to be more creative with her fashion to stepping up her like image from that Disney level. Yes. And she was like, I really am so happy that I made that decision because that's kind of like how I became Zendaya. As in the decision to bring on Law Roach. And to like be more spicy with her yeah. choices. Yeah, yeah, and have people see you differently. I remember, sorry, this is kind of a tangent, but not interviewing Australian stylist Lana Wilkinson years ago. And she was like, people can discount this job. At the end of the day, my job is to dress someone who might be only known as a neighbour's star, who is trying to transform their career, get them a red carpet moment where people see them as something other than their character, see them as edgy and fun. And suddenly they start actually, people start thinking of them for other jobs or in other ways. Not to stacks on with tangents here, but also we can all just think about, I think it was the Australian Women's Weekly, they put Anthony Albanese in a well-cut white shirt (laughs) and everyone lost their tiny minds. It's important, not just for celebrities, but for politicians, anyone in the public eye. The way someone is dressed, the way they appear does inform our opinion of them. Yeah, exactly. And a pair of glasses in Elbow's case as well, a new <laughs> pair of glasses. Welcome to shameless Anthony Albanese. <laughs> I don't think you've ever featured once. I don't think you have either. <laughs> My second story. Caught red-handed, Ruby Tuesday Matthews is busted in an embarrassing influencer fail after sending herself questions during an Instagram Q&A. That is from the Daily Mail. Oh, dear, dear, dear. So in case you missed it, this week, popular influencer and content creator Ruby Tuesday Matthews, who has made it into a couple of shameless quick and dirties over the years, found herself in quite the awkward public situation. So essentially what happened is Ruby was doing a Q&A on her Instagram stories with her 233,000 followers. And it was all about her personal life, her career, her relationship, her new home that she's recently bought, anything that her followers wanted to bring up, she was keen to talk about. Now, to wrap up the Q&A at the end of answering all these viewer questions, she posted a screenshot of some of the questions that she was receiving. Like they kind of appear all in a river and she had taken a screenshot of that list of questions and put it up to basically be like, thanks everyone for playing. We're done now. Only there was a teeny tiny problem, Zara McDonald. Yes. And that teeny tiny problem was that it showed that on the bottom of that screenshot, she'd asked herself a couple of her own questions that she had ended up answering. Now, one of those questions that Ruby had written herself was about the electronics or something in her home where she ended up tagging brands like Samsung and LG and the screenshot was sent to self-confessed influencer watchdog celeb Spelltech who shared it with her followers with the caption, we all knew influencers did this. Yeah, I think one of the elements that kind of added to the awkwardness for Ruby in this circumstance was that when she shared the question that she had written to herself – She included in her answer the line, so funny you asked this, (laughs) as if to be like, oh, I was just thinking about this. How funny that you happened to ask me about it. Where now that we know that she asked herself, looks particularly uncomfortable. Now, after Celeb Spellcheck shared this, people predictably went wild. Everyone kind of lost their minds in the comments and were really jumping on this and kind of making it bigger and bigger. Ruby then responded to Celeb Spellcheck's post on her Instagram stories, writing, FYI, the brands I tagged in my Q&A were already items I purchased for full price. Now, she wrote this alongside an FPOS receipt for a transaction at the Good Guys for about $3,000, but it didn't say exactly what she had bought. She then explained, and yes, I take full responsibility for submitting questions and answers. I often correct and summarize the questions I am asked. She then followed up that story with another story where she said that anyone commenting on that post or she implied that anyone commenting on that post were spreading drama, creating hate and criticism 
and bitching. It was an interesting response for me because I do kind of think when these things happen, which is silly, like let's not call this anything <laughs> other than what it is, which is just like a silly story that brings people joy because it's just a bit silly. <laughs> I was like, as if you're not just going to sit there and be like, yeah, fuck guys. Like that's exactly what I did. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like no no one, no one's inferring really anything about you yeah. with this. Everyone's like, oh yeah, it is something we thought every influencer did. How funny that you've accidentally kind of exposed yourself in this scenario. How awkward. Let's all have a laugh and move on. Yeah. And I think it would be a perfect response from her if she just sort of turned around to everyone and said, oh, I'm a bit of an idiot. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I think there is such power, particularly in Australian culture, of stuffing up and then turning around, pointing the finger at yourself and going, I'm such a dill. Like, <laughs> I am a real dill here. I really got it wrong. My bad, guys. How funny. And just having a laugh at yourself. I appreciate that not all criticism is nice. And I don't think <laughs> that anyone has to respond to all criticism like that yeah. at all. Because my skin isn't that thick. But I think in a scenario <laughs> like this where it's like it's all just fluffy and sugary and fun, like let's all just laugh about this and move on. Like I think it would have been a really clever way to play it. But, I mean, and I can't control how anyone else is going to play this or how she's going to find it. But I agree with you. There is something very funny and very – there's a lot of power actually yes. in taking the laugh out of people's mouth and putting it in your own saying <laughs> – it's like a bit explicit – but putting it in your own and saying like, you can't really laugh at me because I'm laughing at myself first. Yeah, getting in on the joke and being self-deprecating is the best way to handle something like this. I don't think the best way to handle it is to say this is hate, criticism – bitching, spreading drama. This is something people are going to naturally laugh at. So I think the best thing to do, even if you're faking it, even if you're not actually laughing at yourself, publicly, best thing to do is to pretend that you are laughing at yourself. I agree. My third story, forget six, two men with no personality. (laughs) The world is finally waking up to the reign of short kings. (laughs) That is from Pedestrian. Now, I was going to say hardly a news story, but also kind of a news story. It's around. Now, pedestrian Saliha Iqbal wrote a piece about this this week and I am seeing it as a bit of a mood around, guys. Now, in this story about short kings, (laughs) Saliha quoted the writer Miles Klee, who actually penned a 2018 article about this. So if this is a thing, we might be four years behind the eight ball. (laughs) Now, Miles Klee originally defined a short king. If you're wondering what the hell I'm talking about, what is a short king? A short king is someone who celebrates his height, always wearing it well. (laughs) He's never been envious of a six foot plus dude's gawky frame and he sure as hell doesn't add inches to his own measurements to impress anyone. For him, shortness is not a liability but an advantage. It's crisply elegant and efficient. Efficient. An efficient use of space. So suddenly everyone's talking. Yeah, is that what you mean? Yeah, he's so compact. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Don't don't question the definition. The definition is the definition. How can you approach your own height be efficient? I I would say I'm an efficient use of space. Do you mean economical? You're like I did right. You're, you're an economical human because you don't take up space. Are you efficient as a human? Shortness, it's crispy, elegant. It's efficient. You get around quick. You don't have to fuck around. I don't know. Also. Crisply elegant. <laughs> You're raising a lot of questions that don't need to be raised. <laughs> now, the thing about the mood of the short king, right, that's coming around. And we, like, let's not beat around the bush here. This is clearly a mood at the moment because of Tom Holland, right? Oh. He's sparked the resurgence of uh, he, short kings. He must have sparked the resurgence of, of short kings because it's also important to acknowledge that not every short man is a short king, which is where I might have uh, marked <laughs> up initially. Did you know that? Not every short man is a short king? Well, before we get onto that, I needed to Google Tom Holland's height because not everyone listening and not everyone at this table, ladies, is a Tom Holland fan. Oh, I didn't know. I think you'll find oh. that. <laughs> He's 1.73 meters meters and sorry to be old school I do need that in feet what is 1.73 he's five foot six oh wait but then celebheights.com has him at 169 centimeters which is five foot six that is a short he's short not he's, he's not yeah. tall yeah and he, he looks even shorter in with Zendaya but I think that's why people love it because he's got such a good personality and he's got so much self-confidence and he's not insecure about his height at all because he shouldn't be because he's a short king right now I also wonder if this is a kind of a variation of BDE, Big Dick mm. Energy, if Short Kings is actually just a subgenre of men with Big Dick Energy. <laughs> Do you agree with this? 
look, I think <laughs> I, str- I, was like, I don't really want to be here. <laughs> I struggle with this conversation because, and I am being self-aware about this. This is probably anti-feminist, and it's something probably that I is. need it's to sort. Definitely anti-feminist. I need to sort this within myself. I am a tall person. I'm five foot ten and a half. I spend so much of my life feeling a little awkward about how tall I am. Like often, if we are all in the office wearing heels, I do feel a bit like a like a gangly giraffe some of the time because I am five foot ten. I am much taller than a lot of my friends in particular. I don't enjoy the feeling of being uncomfortably taller than someone or like staring down at them. So the idea of me ever dating a short king, I am happily engaged, but the idea of me ever being with a short king is not something I find appealing or pleasant or at all attractive because I don't want to feel tall when I already feel tall so much of the time. That's fine. No, I'm not forcing you a short king. You don't have to. I think reading this, I could date a short king. Again, I'm in a, a happy long-term relationship with someone who's not a short king at all. Um, but I, I think I read this and I was like, yeah, I could date someone shorter than me. But I say that never knowing anyone that's shorter than me apart from 12-year-old children. Like, I'm so small that I, I can't get my head around high. You're efficient. Annabelle, what about you? Would oh, you date someone? I'd short? 100% date a short king, but he'd need to have like that charisma that they're talking about. But, yeah, but that's right. the thing, Annabelle. A short man does not maketh a short yes. king. You know that? (laughs) By definition. Know that, Annabelle. Know it. By definition, if you were dating a short king, he has that charisma, okay? On the topic of heights, before we move on, I know this is already a long it, but I'm having fun, so who cares? (laughs) We need to talk about the fact that Zara is so short, you never comprehend the heights of other people. (laughs) Everyone else is the same height to me. (laughs) We had this moment in the office last week where you were like, well, Justine's really short. And I was like, (laughs) What are you talking about? Justine is perhaps the second tallest person in this office. But poor you from your vantage point. You're just seeing everyone at the exact same level. Yeah, it's like my neck is constantly craning. I actually will have neck issues when I get older because I constantly just look up. Who's taller, Mitch or Ollie? You've been around them that much. Ollie. I think he probably is slightly. I think they're actually exactly the same height probably. Ollie's a lot taller than me. That's just the thing. I'm constantly (laughs) craning my neck. So he's not a short king. Tall king Ollie. (laughs) We've got to have more Talking to ourselves, if you don't mind. I wanted to finish this by quoting a Twitter user called Jabuki Young White, who was also quoted in this pedestrian piece, who also wrote about short kings in 2018. So again, yes, we are four years late to this. Now, he described short kings. He said, short kings are sensitive, honest, on top of their shit, ready to help others, thankful, kind, into (laughs) self-enrichment, noble, giving, Short. It's like a horoscope. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? My fourth story. Sam Frost reveals brutal private fallout of her vaccination video. That is from news.com, Mish. And in case anyone missed it, she did do her first tell-all interview since that big controversy at the end of last year with Stella Magazine. Yeah, and for anyone who needs a refresher, Sam Frost is the ex-bachelorette and home-and-away actress with 578,000 followers on social media. So a pretty big deal in Australia, a pretty big celebrity. Now, Last year, she found herself in the middle of a pretty big controversy when she revealed she was hesitant to get the COVID vaccine. She essentially uploaded a video to Instagram where she detailed her experience over, I think it was five or six minutes. One of the terms she used to describe her experience as an unvaccinated person was segregation. In the wake of the controversy from that, she took a break from her role at Home and Away. She has since gotten the vaccine, but also chosen to leave the show altogether. Yeah, she said in this interview when she was hit with that criticism that she should not have used the word segregation. She said, of course, I could have used better words, but vaccinated people are allowed in the building. Unvaccinated people aren't. That's segregating people by vaccination status. And then the media picked it up and compared it to racial segregation. I never said anything of the sort. She also went into a bit of detail, Mish, about how much she was struggling at this time as well. She said, I wasn't in a good place. I felt alone. I thought to myself, I just wish there was someone who would say, what you're feeling is okay. It's okay to be anxious. And I'm sure you're getting workplace pressure to be vaccinated. All of social media was like, get the vaccine or you're selfish. I felt sure there must be others who felt like me. Yeah, she went on. I loved my time on Home and Away, but there was a divide in the workplace when it came to the vaccine and the mandate. It used to be my safe place. I had beautiful friends who I felt like were family, but COVID changed the dynamic a lot. I was going to temporarily leave and come back, but I'm always preaching about making mental health a priority and I wasn't making it mine. 
Super interesting interviews are. I mean, I'm sure people have so many thoughts on this as well because when Sam Frost does express herself, she tends to use quite maybe – I don't know, exaggerated language sometimes. Quite absolute language. Yeah, I think that's a better term actually. Quite absolute language that I think might rub people the wrong way, particularly this next quote. She also said, I don't know too many people who have faced as much criticism for every step they take. What am I doing wrong? I don't understand it. I don't understand. I think with Sam Frost, I understand the point of what she's trying to say. I do really understand where she's coming from. I do sympathise with people who felt like shit in the pandemic, no matter what the reason for that was, truthfully. However, I think sometimes the way she expresses herself opens her up to criticism. And I can also see why that criticism is justified. I think it just demands like 20 to 30% a little bit more self-awareness. When we say I don't know too many people have faced as much criticism, I think she has definitely gone through it in the press, but to say perhaps you don't know almost anyone who hasn't gone through it more than you perhaps does lack a little bit of self-awareness and the many reasons why people in the Australian public eye have gone through it. That was kind of it for me, but I I agree with you. Like I appreciate that she was clearly really anxious for a time and and if Home and Away wasn't the right job for her and wasn't right for her mental health, then power to her. Yeah, absolutely. My fifth story, Miley Cyrus calls marriage to Liam Hemsworth a fucking disaster. That is from page six. Yeah, a very quick one to round out today's quick and dirty, but it is a story we just couldn't ignore. A shout out to all the scandal listeners who are super invested in what the fuck happened between Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth in those eight months that they were married because we are right there with you. We all care heaps. And when we saw this headline, we just had to jump on it. So if you haven't listened to that three-part scandal series – In the final episode, we explored some of the possible theories as to why Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth divorced. They were together on and off for 10 years. They were married for eight months and then had a very acrimonious split, Zara. Yeah, exactly. Now, based on what Miley has said in interviews and in her music, it seemed like substance abuse of some form may have played a role in the couple's demise. I mean, she famously sang her song, slide away Mm. which was released like six days after their split announcement and she said I want my house in the hills don't want the whiskey and pills I don't give up easily but I don't think I'm down so we knew all of that we knew something was going on and now according to reports Miley was actually performing on stage at Lollapalooza which is one of the better words in the English language (laughs) in Brazil on Saturday night when she brought up a gay couple on stage for their proposal and she said honey I hope your marriage goes better than mine Mine was a fucking disaster. I just care. I just care and I wonder what Liam Hemsworth thinks when these kind of headlines make the news. Well, she's clearly without any sort of filter now when it comes to that marriage. And how bad it was. Yeah, and I do kind of think we're going to be drip-fed over the next couple of years how much she was struggling through it because she's also famously said to Vanity Fair, you know, the media kind of speculates on Miley's mental health based on how her hair looks. Like if she's got long, wispy, blonde hair and she's playing the role of housewife, everybody thinks she's okay. But she said that's when she was doing her worst. So I feel like we're just going to find out more and more. Yeah, I know that Miley had a ghostwritten memoir when she was 15 years old. I was to go. go. I would love for Miley to write a memoir as an adult now. Given the many lives she has lived over the last two decades, I just think it would be so interesting to read about this marriage and what actually happened behind the scenes. So, Miley, if you're listening, memoir, please. Yeah, memoir. Now, guys, that is all I've got for you. Thanks so much. Coming up after the break, we talk about the slap, but not the Australian one from years ago. Oh, my God. (laughs) Now a word from today's sponsor. (laughs) How many people will understand that and how many people will be completely in the dark? I don't care. (laughs) Well, you simply couldn't have missed it. This week at the 94th Academy Awards, Chris Rock came on stage to present an award. Before he did that, though, he did what most presenters do and cracked some jokes about the industry at large. One of those jokes was about Jada Pinkett Smith, where he said, Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. That joke was in reference to Jada Pinkett Smith's baldness and its similarities to the character of G.I. Jane's buzz cut. As soon as it landed, Jada's husband, Will Smith, was storming the stage 
throwing his open palm into the cheek of Chris Rock. When he returned to his seat, he yelled out, keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Zara, this has now become one of the biggest pop culture moments, not just of the year, but I would say of the decade. So we have so much to unpack. We can begin wherever you like. Oh, thank you. So generous. (laughs) I don't even know where to start. I think maybe let's start with how people responded the minute they found out this had happened. I wasn't watching the Oscars live because I don't find them that interesting anymore. And I think that's very much the mood. The Oscars have been suffering with, I guess, relevance deprivation syndrome for a little while now. No one's watching. And I was on Twitter, though, the minute this happened, and I started to see people tweeting about it before the footage was live. And I sent it to you straight away and said, this is probably going to be one for us, like for the show, but I am going to bet it's a publicity stunt. Because the minute you see Chris Rock and Will Smith in an altercation at the Oscars, I'm like, there's no way that's not set up. Then we started to watch it and thought, oh, gosh, maybe it's not. Yeah, I think it was such an interesting processing period for so many people trying to figure out what the hell had happened. And as always, as people are processing, we have creators on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram doing all of the very (laughs) best reaction work for us. Now, Some of our favourite tweets, Zara, really got us instantly. This one from Anna Snacks got me good. They should cancel the rest of the show and just have everyone describe what happened Big Little Lies style. It's so funny when Twitter just starts to go. Like it's people's (laughs) instinct without any analysis. So all the jokes just come out without any thought, but they're often very, very funny. There was another one from The Ferocity that said, stop the damn Oscars broadcast and drag a red table onto the stage because we need to talk. (laughs) This one from Papa Pishu was also really good. The Oscars wouldn't fabricate a fake assault because they could never do anything even remotely that interesting on purpose. That one had like 300,000 likes. (laughs) So so people are like really not getting into the Oscars at the moment. (laughs) Now, I... I think what was originally the biggest source of confusion, Mish, for people was, well, was this a publicity stunt or not? I think the minute we watched it after 15 minutes or so, we were like, I don't think this can be a publicity stunt. But for a lot of people, they were looking at footage of Will Smith laughing at the joke initially and thinking this must be proof that this is not real because how can he be laughing at the joke? And I remember seeing that conversation sort of give rise on social media and wonder, do we really want to live in a world where we're not giving people the permission to change their mind even in a minute, even in 30 seconds? Because to me, it seemed more likely that he wasn't even listening to the joke. He was just laughing on autopilot with everybody else in that room without even knowing what was being said. And then noticed the hurt on Jada's face because Jada was very hurt, clearly. Instantly. And changed his mind straight away. Yeah, I agree with that. I think autopilot is the perfect word to describe this. I think we have all sat in big auditoriums or theatres or whatever, tuned out but known when the moment that we need to come in with fake laughter is required. I've done that so many times where I've just been like, ha, 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 but like my mind is elsewhere. I think this was an instance of that. He probably wasn't paying a heap of attention. He hadn't processed the actual joke. He sees his wife in visible hurt and then had white hot rage come over him. I totally agree with you. And I, I guess after a bit of time, after about half an hour, it became pretty clear that it wasn't fake also because you had tweets saying that like Denzel Washington was comforting both Jada and Will and sitting with them at the table and they looked very upset. We were also reminded that Jada Pinkett Smith actually opened up on Red Table Talk in 2018 about her battle with alopecia and she has been since quite public about her struggle with going through that and as as you say Mish you could see the hurt on her face straight away. She she kind of eye rolled but also just looked quite stony faced yeah I think the reason I truthfully I didn't actually think this was a publicity stunt at all as soon as I saw it I thought no that's legit because it was about Will Smith's wife because it was at her expense because it was about her appearance this is before I even knew the alopecia stuff I just thought there's no way Will Smith is concocting a stunt at his wife's expense he would do it at his own expense he's not doing it at her expense and he's certainly not mocking her appearance and then you find out about the health condition the hair loss condition and autoimmune condition sometimes of alopecia and you realise there's no way this is a setup. He would not do that to her. Did you guys know that Jada had alopecia? I did not know. I, I didn't, didn't know either. either. And so I I was surprised that I didn't know as well because we work a lot in this space. Mm. We spend a lot of time in the celebrity and pop culture news space. So I would like to poll people to work out what percentage of people knew this before the Oscars this week. And truthfully on this point, and I want to be careful with how I express this, 
I think it is important to at least make some space for the idea that Chris Rock did not know that Jada Pinkett Smith has alopecia. He may have known, and if he did know, this is nothing short of completely cruel and callous and calculated. If he didn't know she had alopecia, this is him failing at his job as a comedian to do adequate research, to have a duty of care with the kinds of jokes that he is telling, but it is not malicious. And I think malice here can change what actually happened on this night from something that was hurtful but accidental or something that was intentional and deeply, deeply hurtful. And I think we do need to make room for that because I'm seeing a lot of assumptions online that he definitely knew when there's no information yet on whether he knew or not. Yeah, and I think there's never been a more poignant news story for me than this one when it comes to maybe straddling both sides. There was a really good tweet from Josie Duffy Rice who said, you do not have to pick between Chris Rock is 100% right and Will Smith is 100% right and no one has asked you to make Mm. that choice. I think we live in an internet age where it is sort of, we'll pick a side, pick your bucket, who are you defending? And it's like, nah, like let's like explore this and have a conversation about it without feeling like we have to passionately defend one or the other. And I do want to set the tone with that because first things first, like there is no denying physical assault is not okay and there is no excuse for it. No, there's no excuse for it. And truthfully, Of course, Will Smith was upset. Of course, he wanted to defend his wife. Of course, he loves her and would have been hurt by her being hurt. However, there are ways to do that that do not incorporate physical violence. Physical violence is never the solution or the answer. And truthfully, I wish he had stormed that stage. If he had raised his hand, I wish he'd stopped himself and actually reached for the microphone and spoken into it and used his words to be like, I fucking hate that joke. My wife has a health condition. You just mocked her in front of millions of people. If he had done that, can you imagine the response? Can you imagine how much more powerful, how much more influential that would have been? Unfortunately, he resorted to physical violence, which is never the answer. Yeah, exactly. I think when we talk about Chris Rock as well, you say, you know, we need to make space for the fact he might not have known about this. And I agree with that. I think what does make it bizarre, and I think what people are struggling to get their head around, is that... He has made a documentary himself about black women's hair called Good Hair in 2009. It also should be noted that alopecia is a condition that does disproportionately affect black women. So again, as you say, it's like, okay, let's just give you the absolute benefit of the doubt right now in this point and say, all right, you might not have known. How can you, with all of this context, not do your research, especially about something so hypercharged and something that you know is hypercharged? I think what is also curious to me, Mish, in the sort of days after this is understanding how far back the Smiths and Chris Rock go. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe the history between this couple and Chris Rock until we really did some research. So there's 30 years of history here. Chris Rock and Will Smith actually worked on a couple of episodes of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in 1995. They appeared in a mockumentary called Torrance Rises in 99. In 2005, Chris Rock and Jada Pinkett Smith co-starred in Madagascar, the most iconic animated film maybe of all time. (laughs) Then they also worked together on the two sequels for that film, one in 2008 and one in 2012. Then things definitely soured. We don't know exactly when, but we certainly know things were not good in 2016. That's the year when Chris Rock hosted the Oscars and cracked a joke, a pretty nasty joke as well, at the expense of Jada. Now, for some context, 2016 was the year when the movement of Oscars So White really took off. It was all over social media. The awards ceremony and the whole institution had been exposed as like embarrassingly white, embarrassingly exclusive. And a lot of actors, particularly black actors, decided to boycott the ceremony as a political protest. Of that decision for Jada not to attend the 2016 Oscars, Chris Rock got up and said, Jada said she's not coming. Protest. I was like, isn't she on a TV show? Jada's going to boycott the Oscars. Jada boycotting the Oscars is like me boycotting Rihanna's panties. I wasn't invited. He also cracked a joke at Will's expense saying it's not fair that Will was this good and didn't get nominated. You're right. It's also not fair that Will was paid $20 million for Wild Wild West, okay, which was referencing one of Will Smith's, I guess, least successful movies. Now, at the time, Jada was asked about this and she told the publication X17, hey, look, 
look, it comes with the territory, but we got to keep it moving. We got to keep it moving. We got to keep it moving. There's a lot of stuff we got to handle, a lot of stuff in our world right now. We got to keep it moving. So clearly she's not wanting to spend much time on that Chris Rock joke and just move with, you know, the conversations that were happening at the time. And while I'm on that point, I know we don't know what was said behind the scenes, but you can probably only imagine that tension was building and anger was bubbling and resentment was there. Yeah, and Jada probably didn't feel like she could tell us she was hurt, but undoubtedly those jokes in 2016 would have burned behind the scenes for sure. So we know that in 2022, Will Smith gets on stage and slaps Chris Rock in what was what so many people thought was a punch initially because it was so loud. It took a lot of people to realise that it was an open palm slap. And minutes later, wins his first Oscar for King Richard. Now, what was really interesting is in his acceptance speech, he was crying and he said, I am not crying for winning an award. It's not about winning an award for me. Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams, but love will make you do crazy things. Yeah. Now, naturally, people had an issue issue with that statement, love will make you do crazy things, Zara. Many people drew the parallel that lots of men use that excuse in domestic violence scenarios. And for that reason, love will make you do crazy things is quite triggering, particularly to women who have survived domestic violence. Yeah. So you had that side of the coin And it's an absolutely fair one. That is a hard-lined stomach. Other people have also said, you know what, Jada can defend herself. It's toxic in and of itself for Will to get up and protect her in the way that he did. And I think he's also allowed to protect his wife. Mm. Like you're allowed to protect the people that you love and fight for the people that you love. But I think the general consensus is while he's allowed to protect her and fight for her, that's not toxic in and of itself using physical violence is the bad part. Yeah. I think one of the obvious things for this as well is it's such a shame that this moment has overshadowed what is, number one, a great accolade for Will Smith, an incredible actor, someone who has been in the industry for 30 years, but also an incredible film. I got on this show a couple of months ago and said, King Richard is one of my favourite films ever, not just in 2022, ever. I thought this was remarkable and you and I had a back and forth as to how incredible Will Smith is and hopefully he gets his first Oscar. And it's just a real disappointment and letdown that such a great accolade that he absolutely 100% deserves is now always going to be remembered in tandem with this incident. Yeah, I agree with that. And then the other part that's really interesting to me, if I may, if I can tone shift even a tiny bit here, is I also read a fascinating column from Otega Uwagba, the British journalist who released a newsletter on this just this morning that we're recording. And she said, I have been surprised by how po-faced and joyless many of the reactions to the whole saga have been, as I simply found the whole episode hilarious. Surreal, shocking, and strangely hilarious. Watching one very rich man slap another very rich man during one of the most tightly controlled and upscale televised events of the year, what I would give to have been a fly on the wall in the producer's control room at that moment. This is what I'm finding so fascinating about this story, right? The many colours of how people are responding to this, like the shades of grey between how one person has interpreted this event, like a Tegra or Wagba saying, I found this downright ridiculous. Like it's hilarious it's, to watch on. It's hilarious to what other people are saying on Twitter or people are saying on TikTok is such an illuminating insight into how we all process and interpret the exact same identical event completely differently. The way people are talking about this is almost as if they have watched completely different footage. Like we've had Judd Apatow, the Hollywood producer, say that Will Smith could have killed Chris Rock with that slap. We've had Jamila Jamil say that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock so lightly he barely moved. Like, (laughs) it's almost like we're all on different planets interpreting this in polar opposite ways. Well, it's one of those textbook scenarios where people bring their own experience and their own biases and their own thoughts to this scenario and walk away with very different ideas about what happened. It's just so interesting that we all have the footage still. It's not like one moment that can never be replayed. We can replay this over and over and over (laughs) again. And people still have completely different perspectives on what went down. And I think that's probably the most fascinating element about it. Chris Rock has decided not to press charges. At the time that we're recording, he actually hasn't acknowledged this, which I think is probably 
not the smartest. No, it's a mistake. And I think people really need to hear from Chris Rock here. They need to know, did you know about her condition? That is a huge element of this to me, particularly when it comes to Jada Pinkett Smith's long-term harm from this scenario. If you know someone's gone out to deliberately embarrass and belittle you in front of millions of people, that would have long-term effects on your psyche. If you find out someone accidentally did it and were a dick but are really remorseful, that's a different thing. I agree with that. So he needs to respond soon. Will Smith has. He, on Tuesday morning, our time released an apology, which was pretty good as far as apologies go in terms of just he didn't make many excuses for his behaviour. He said, violence in all its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behaviour at last night's Academy Awards was unacceptable and inexcusable. I think it's without a doubt that we will see him on Red Table Talk in the next how many months? Maybe four to five? Yeah, I was going to say two to three. Yeah, maybe that's better. I think there would be discussions already behind the scenes to get this together and to get a Red Table Talk out. Number one, cannot wait to hear it because Jada Pinkett Smith is a revelation on that show. And my God, the episodes I have watched, I have so thoroughly enjoyed and always taken a learning from. But also, I think the Smiths will have some understanding of whether or not Chris Rock knew about her condition. And I think they will also try to make that clear where exactly that stands, what the answer is in the Red Table Talk. Do you think Chris Rock will be on the Red Table Talk with Will Smith? I will be very surprised if he is. I also think it would be marvellous if he is because I think he should be held accountable. I don't think he's going to do it, but I would love it and I would be impressed if they were able to get him on there. Imagine how many views that would get also. Well, yeah. Remember the Jordan Woods? That actually, the Jordan Woods one, sorry, I know this is like a very different sugary example, but they got Jordan Woods on Red Table Talk in like a week or two. And they absolutely nailed it. They completely changed the narrative But I don't think it can be that quick for this. I think there needs to be some sort of self-reflection time yeah. that is, you know, a month, two months, three months. Yeah, and I mean, the last question I was going to ask you is, do you think Jada will say anything on this? But I almost hope she doesn't. I, hope she, I mean, I hope she doesn't feel like she has to. This no. is not her mess. Like, she was thrown into the middle of it. And I don't think she owes anyone anything. Yeah, I completely agree. She has found herself in an absolute catastrophe of a PR scandal that she played no part in, which would also be really frustrating. So, my goodness, what a story. What a pop culture moment. I am glad we do this podcast at moments like this because just so many things to discuss. So many things to discuss and unpack. But, guys, that is all we've got time for today. As always, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. We are indeed. You will find snippets from this very episode on there. Anything to add, Annabelle Lee? Nah, nah, nah. Nah, 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 nah. Righto. See you guys on Monday. <laughs> Bye. Bye.